Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you no matter where you are in your journey towards Jesus. If you have any questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. Welcome, good morning. Uh, My name is Tom Harmon, and my wife and I have been attending Summit for a little over three years now. And uh, I did this in the first service, I'd like to do it in this one, just express our appreciation and gratitude for Pastor Dan, Chuck, Kate, all the pastoral staff here um, for encouraging us and inspiring us on in our journey of faith, the teaching, the fellowship. Uh, We just thank God for this church. Um, our children, many of our children go here, grandchildren, even some of our great-grandchildren go here and just makes it a fun place. We didn't have to shop for a church when we moved down here. We could come here and uh, just thank God for this place. Um, well, I, <clears throat> I, feel <clears throat> I feel prompted to speak on a proper eschatological urgency. More specifically, my struggle with maintaining a proper eschatological urgency. Some of you may be saying, what is he talking about? (laughs) Eschatology, okay? I I hope that you'll get a feel for that. Uh, What I'm trying to to speak on. If you let him prompted, if, if not led prompted of the Lord to, to speak on this. Well, if you have your Bibles and would like to turn to the book of Acts, I'm going to use a verse there as a launching pad. The word eschatology, ology, obviously is a word that means the study of. Theology, theos, is the Greek word God. Ology is the study of God. All of us have some measure of theology, what we think about God and what our resources are that cause us to think that way about God. Um, Soteriology would be the study of the gospel or the study of salvation. Eschatology is the study of the end times. It's literally in the Greek, the word is last. Yes, the the word last. We, We translated this word eschatos into the English word last. You're gonna, I, mean, I want to use it a few times in Scripture so we get a feel for this because I don't think most people think about the word eschatology. But I hope when you leave, you'll have some feel for this, this word and this truth. In Acts chapter 2, now <clears throat> you've got to be familiar with Acts chapter 2, what's about to happen. I'm going to need a little bottle of water. I can tell. <clears throat> Rather than stay up here and clear my throat. Thank you, Chuck. Um, <clears throat> I'm probably going to do that anyway. My, I'm a retired itinerant preacher. I used to preach all the time, and your, your throat, your voice is like other things. When you don't use them, they get wore out. Okay, They they're just get old. <laughs> Never mind. <clears throat> <clears throat> Thank you. I'm glad you broke that for me. I don't know if I can still do that. Muscles. <laughs> Had to flex. He went, <sighs> never mind. We're off to a rough start, <laughs> okay? <clears throat> a 
Lord, help me. I don't want to have to clear my throat up here the whole time I'm preaching. Um, the Greek word is eschatos. We translate that word English last. Let me show you how it's used. The setting is Pentecost. Disciples, upper room, Spirit of the Lord. Remember, they've been told to wait in Jerusalem until the, the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, comes. The Holy Spirit comes upon them, and it's like the sound of a mighty rushing wind. One of the names for Spirit of the Spirit is breath. He breathes on, and it appeared on top of each one of these people in this room that were praying for the Spirit to come as like a cloven tongue of fire. I've seen artists' conceptions of what they might thought that might have looked like, but we'll just say a little tongue of fire above their heads. And then they began to speak in languages they had never learned, and they could speak them like a native, okay? Because there were people there from all over the world. Jews had been hearing about this possible Messiah. John the Baptist had been ministering. They hadn't had a prophet for 400 years. So the people are there from Asia, Cappadocia, Bithynia, all over the world. It lists them in Acts chapter 2. So this is the group, and they're accused by the religious, the Pharisees, scribes, that group, of being drunk. And <laughs> like that would teach you how to speak a language that you don't know how to... I'd start drinking if that would happen, Okay. If I could speak French without having to, never, that's, that's not in, <clears throat> give me a six-pack, man. I don't want to learn them languages. Anyway, boy, I've already wrecked a message. I am a teetotaler, but that's just my choice, okay? But they got in their speech, and they're praising God. So this is the birthday of the church. Pentecost is the day when the Spirit came down upon people, and he now dwells within us, Okay? That is that same spirit, the same one that was at Pentecost, now lives within, what know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost whom you have of God and you are not your own? Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit. That's the spirit we're talking about. He comes up. So this is all God. How do you know the Holy Spirit is God? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So this, this event occurs and Peter said, these guys are not drunk. And now he's got everybody looking at him. Okay, they're not drunk. Tell us what they are. And he starts his first Holy Spirit anointed sermon on the first day of the church. The church is moments old, right out of the womb. This should be significant. What's the first thing he's going to say? Verse 17, and it shall come to pass in the eschatosh days, in the last days, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. He literally takes from the Old Testament from the prophet Joel chapter 2 verses 30, 28 through 32 and he just quotes it in the first sentence on the first day of the church preached by, this is his first Holy Spirit anointed sermon. He uses the word eschatos. And he talks about the last days. Now that should be significant. I'm going to talk to you about eschatology. It's very significant. Let me give you another one. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 1, these are the Apostle Paul's last words. He's in the Mamertine prison. He's penning a letter to Timothy about how to live, how to, how to do this, son. This is his son in the faith. These are significant words. He says a little bit later, I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. As he's, the ink may not even be dry on this letter. As the executioner is walking down the hallway of the sewer of Rome, that's what the Mamertine prison was, to execute this man. These are significant words. So you got Peter's first words, you got the apostle Paul's last words, and this is what he says. 
2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This know also that in the eschatos days, in the last days, perilous times are going to come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. You know, I used to always think he was describing the world in which we're living. Do you know the context here? He's talking to the church. These are the kind of things that are going to be in the church. The church is going to, in the last days that the church is going to have to deal with. This is not going to be a, an easy thing. He's saying, you need to know this. In the eschatos days. Let me give you another one. In 2 Peter chapter 3. Now Peter writes, he's one of the last apostles to be writing. The old boys had a rough journey. In the first letter that Paul wrote to the church of Galatia, he rebukes this man who preached the first sermon at Pentecost for being a hypocrite. Of sowing discord among the brethren, disciplinable offenses within the church. Peter's had a rough, he's been hiding out. I haven't got time to talk about Peter. That's not in the sermon. I, I, I guess not. You people are listening so well, I'd like to... <laughs> Let me give you this. Second Peter chapter... Three, verse one, this second epistle, beloved, I know I now write unto you. He's writing to the church, to the church of the circumcision, basically, the Jewish believers. In, which, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. I've told you this. I'm writing it to reaffirm it. That you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the eschatos days, scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, yeah, right, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they are willingly ignorant of. You know the context? That's going to characterize the church in the eschatos days. Uh, where people just, I don't believe he's coming back. A few years ago, I was preaching in a place, and a man came up to me afterwards. I know the guy, but not well. And I must have mentioned the coming of Christ, I hope so, in the message, because that's part of the gospel message. He died, was buried, rose again, and he's coming back. That's part of the gospel message. We're supposed to be looking for the blessing. And he's coming, he says, do you really believe that Jesus is coming back? And I thought by the way he asked it, he was trying to be joking and sarcastic. I said, no, nah, not really. He said, neither do I. I said, well, let's stop it right here. I said, of course I believe he's coming back again. Within the church, you must, how many of you know when you say church, that includes a lot of things that ain't church. Do any of you know what I just said there? Not everything that talks, Jesus knows Jesus, okay. And I thought, huh, is, is that in the church? church we scoff people don't become a scoffer about the last days in which we're living he's coming back that's what it that's what he's emphasizing here let me give you another one in revelation chapter 1 we'll focus on verse 17 but if you're familiar with roman excuse me 
Revelations chapter 1, about verse 5, he says, <clears throat> unto him who loveth us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And he goes down. And then John says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And the Lord's now going to appear to him and tell him, I want you to write down the things that you're going to see for the people that need to hear. I want you to write them down. And then it says he sees a vision of Christ. This is a, John is a man who knew Jesus physically very well. He handled him. He, with his eyes, he beha- with his ears, he heard him. He knew he was. But now he catches a glimpse of this Savior Jesus, and he's got hair like as white as wool, and he's got fires like eyes like coals of fire, and his feet are like bronze in, in the furnace, and he, he describes him. And when he sees him, verse 17 says, and when I beheld him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he put his right hand upon me and said, fear not. For I am the first and the eschatos. How do you know it's not just an event? It's the person. Let me give you another one. In John, the Gospel of John, chapter 11, Jesus. He's got news, Lazarus sick, Lazarus dies. He goes to Bethany, a mile and a half or so east of Jerusalem proper. And as he, disciples coming, he wants to, he wants them to experience something that's going to help them grow because he's getting near the cross. And so he, he comes in to Bethany. Mary and Martha hear it, but Mary stays in the house. Martha comes running out and says, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, oh, he's going to rise again. That's all in the first person present tense. In other words, it's going to happen right now. And she, I think, tries to bail him out from what he said or let him know that he might have misspoke himself and did I understand this right? He's going to rise again. She said, oh, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the eschatos day. And Jesus went, da-da. No, he didn't do that, okay. (laughs) What did he say? He said, I am. I am the resurrection. I am the light. This is where it ends. It all, right here. It's me. He doesn't do this. I don't know why I keep doing that. I'm sure quite reverently is dealing with this woman who's grieving over the death of her brother. He says, it's me. Don't you know me? You talk about an event, it's me. I am the first and I am the last. I am the eschatos. This is something extremely significant in Christian theology. There's an end. But it came on the screen. It's not in my notes, and I'll see if I can grab it again. I have a circle track in my mind. How many of you have thoughts? And if you don't say them right when you say them, they're gone forever. Any of you ever had this happen? No, never. Don't have a clue what I'm talking about, right? Okay. For Christ. Oh, I got it. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) The Lord's faithful when I'm not. Say amen. Romans chapter 10, verses 1, 2, 3, 4. For my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, is the end, eschatos, for righteousness. He's the end. The whole thing, the objective is Christ Jesus the Lord. It's all about Christ. Now, I just, how do you know we're not going to exhaust the scriptures that are there about this eschatos stuff? All right, try another one. Um, In Romans chapter 1, starting with verses 1 through 3, and by the way, I know I'm difficult to take notes on. I'm like a loose cannon. (laughs) Just Just write down the references if you can. 
Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated in the gospel of God, which he promised before in the Holy Scriptures through the holy prophets concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Paul is writing to the church at Rome and talking in his introduction about Jesus, who is the seed of David. Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is seed of David. I want us to go to David. In Psalms chapter 40, that's our memory psalm for this year. Joyce and I, we, we choose a psalm every year. We've done this about the last six, seven years. In one or two verses, to have our focus verses, we memorize, or I do, other verses. Joyce struggles with scripture memory. Just harder for her, it's easier for me. How do you know, for some people it's harder, and some people it's easier. Some people, you, you can have things come easy to you that I just flat out struggle with, and I can have things come easy to me. Prayer was a struggle for me. My wife learned to pray early in her Having me for a husband probably helped, okay? She didn't know what else to do but to pray for this guy. She, got, she, she tapped into prayer, and I tapped into scripture. Now, let me give you this psalm. I'm not going to quote it up to this. I did that in the first service. I, I, I haven't got, I'm running out of time. You're not listening fast enough, okay? You just <laughs> pick up the pace, folks. Come on. Okay. <clears throat> in Psalm David, Romans 1, 3, He's throwing a Paul back, back to David, which is a, the Psalms. He wrote many of the Psalms, the prayers, the, the worships. Verse 7, then said I. Now, Psalms 40 is a prophetic psalm, and it's a messianic psalm. You have to put two glasses on. You read it through the eyes of David, getting it from the Spirit of God, but you're reading it what he's talking about Christ. The, you put them glasses on and see Jesus in that psalm. Whoa! said open up now then said I I've got to give you the stuff before that that's uh, cheating uh, I waited patiently for the Lord and inclined unto me and heard my cry brought me up also out of a horrible pit out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings he put a new song in my mouth even praise to our God many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord blessed is that man who maketh the Lord his trust who respecteth not the proud nor such as turn aside to lies Verse 5, many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done. And thy thoughts which are toward us, they cannot be reckoned up in order to me. That's old English for saying this. I have nothing with which to compare the thoughts that God has toward me. There, there's no scale I can count them and can compare them to. That's what he's saying. For if I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offerings thou didst not desire. This blood sacrifice stuff was not God's desire. He had to give us a picture of the sin and the wretchedness of our sin. That's the reason animals were killed. And then he moves and he says, Mine ears hast thou opened. That little positive. You could, you could say that whole verse and remove that and it would still make sense. Why did he put that in there? The positive is something that emphasizes on what. Why did he? He's talking about having an ear to hear. I'm going to be not talking about just these hears. But spirit, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit, speaking to the spirit man, the spiritual ears. And he opens the ears. David said, he opened my ears. He didn't want all these sacrifices. That was not his desire, his design. Verse 7, this is the one I wanted to get to. David, then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me. By the way, the writer of Hebrews says the same thing. 
The writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 quotes that scripture. You know what he's saying? This book is about Christ. Who is Christ? He's the promised one. I'm going to do it. I was squeezed for time in that last one, and I didn't include this. I'm going to include this. I had to eliminate some things. Maybe I can eliminate something else. Smoke that clock up. That's a, I have those jerks every once in a while. That clock just haunts you. He said, lo. Then said I, lo. I want to take just a moment because there's enough preachers in here. <clears throat> the word lo is the Hebrew word hana. Hana. With a rough breather on it. A good Hebrew say that. Hana. Here's what it means. It's a word used as a marker to enliven the narrative. This is the narrative. This is the narrators. Every preacher longs for a word from God that he uses as a marker to enliven the narrative. It's a word used to call attention to detail. God is a God of detail. Down to where he knows the very hair of our head. A God of detail where not so much as a comma, a colon, a semicolon, an exclamation point, a question mark, or a period will fail till all be fulfilled. He's a God of detail. A hana is a word used as a marker to enliven the narrative, to call attention to detail, and to emphasize an idea. This was God's idea. No man cooked this up. This is God's idea. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, Jesus, all his idea. The gospel was his idea. I had nothing to do with it. Every preacher longs for a hana. We don't always get them. And we preach anyway. It just may be God will hana. I can spend more time than I should here. See, this is the stuff I get in the study that don't always make it to the pulpit. Jesus, Luke 4, 18. Nazareth, hometown boy. He grew up in this synagogue. Sometimes hard to grow up in a church. Everybody knows you. And they had heard about some of the miracles he had been doing in Jerusalem. He heard the chauffeur's sound. Synagogue service began. Men on this side, women on this side. The chauffeur sound again, and the people stand up, and they quote the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is. And he quotes the Shema, and they sit down. And the ruler of the synagogue walks over to Jesus and says, What scroll? Because he stood. And if people stood in the synagogue, that means they had a word they wanted to share. And Jesus stood, and he came over and said, What scroll would you like? Give me Isaiah's. And they brought the scroll of Isaiah to Jesus. 
And he found what we would have in our Bibles is Isaiah 61.1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the broken heart. He hath sent me to preach deliverance to the captive, recovering of sight to the mind. He, he quotes Isaiah and then he sits down. And it says in that account that every eye was fastened upon him. What's he going to say? And then he stood and began to, under the anointing, the word given. You know where he took them? A place they didn't want to go, but they needed to hear it. He said there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. But Elijah only ministered to the widow of Zarephath from Sidon. She was a Gentile. The old Jews, I don't know if I like that or not. He said there were many lepers in Israel in the days of Elisha. But it was only Naaman, the Syrian, whom he healed. You know their response to that message? They laid hold of him and took him to the brow of a hill just outside Nazareth proper. I've been there. I've seen it. And they were going to throw him headlong over, but he turned and passed through the midst of them because he's really calling the shots. It wasn't his time yet. I'm enjoying this sermon. How do you know, Chuck? None of that was in the first service. What? These people needed that. I know they did. Somebody in here. If you didn't, yeah, I did. Well, let me see if I can find some place I might have been. <clears throat> what time you folks have to get home? Yeah, I heard that, Lord. Okay, here we go. We'll try to pick this up eschatos again. He said, Lo, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. Lo, I come. Did you know that every Old Testament saint built their hope and their faith upon that foundation? He's coming. In Genesis, they're still in paradise, Adam and Eve. And he makes a promise to them through the seed of the woman. I'm coming. They didn't understand what you and I understand today, but they believed what he said. He's going he's to make it right for us. And then he went out in the first sacrifice, the animal skins, and put it upon Adam and Eve, but he drove them from the garden. They believed he was coming. David said, I mean, you've got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Egypt, Moses, Exodus, Joshua, the land, the 400, the judges, the kings, David, second king. He's coming. He's coming. Did you know that there are Orthodox Jews today that are still looking for him to come? Do you know who the Orthodox Jews are? Black hat, beard, wailing wall, Devons, reading their prayer book. You know what they're praying? Messiah come. This is a Devon is a reverent bow before a holy God. Come, come. Let me give you one. Leave David. Go ahead, a couple hundred years. Isaiah, prophet, 7, 14. Behold, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. They're all looking. Now, we're looking. Days of David, they were looking from the side. He says this. Behold, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. 
For the virgins shall conceive and bear a son and shall call him Emmanuel. Luke 1.47, and the virgin's name was Mary. He came. The volume of the book is about this. He said he'd come. Gospels, he came. Let me give you another scripture. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. And in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the curse of the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons, Jews and Gentiles. Church, this Pentecost stuff, come down. First sermon, last days, you need to know this about the age in which you're living. We're not living in the Christ. How do you know that Jesus isn't here right now, but in spirit? He is on the right hand of the throne of the Father in heaven. But he ain't going to stay there forever. There's an eschatos coming, an end to this age. Luke 2. Bethlehem, stable, Mary Joseph, shepherds, angels. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ. He came. There was a day. He came that day. In Acts chapter 1, he came, lived, died, rose again showed himself among many brethren for about a 40-day period. Now he has told the disciples, wait, this is where we started in Acts. He says, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Spirit, but after that the Holy Ghost shall come upon you and you shall receive power and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Judea and Samaria and in all the parts of the world, he says. And as he's leaving them with that word, he begins to airlift. He starts to go up and they're watching him until he's received out of their sight into the clouds and two men in white apparel, verse 10 and 11, two men in white apparel spoke to these disciples who were, how do you think you could have been like that? Uh, uh. Uh, it happened. Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus whom you have seen go into heaven will come again in like manner. He's coming again. That's the days in which the church age is living. And there is an end to that age. It's called eschatology, the study of it. Now the sermon. I'm glad you snickered. <laughs> the title of this message is a Proper Eschatological Urgency. More specifically, my struggle. Tom Harmon's struggle with a proper eschatological urgency. Let me give you some eschatological verses that'll come up. Hebrews 10, 25, Pastor Dan, two weeks ago in his message on group, group, excuse me, growth and groups or groups and growth. I can't remember the order of them now. He, he used this text as part of his message. Hebrews 10, 25. And he says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another while it is called today. No, I, I put that in there. Uh, but exhorting one another as you see the day approaching. There's a day coming. It's approaching. They said, you can see it coming. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. It is appointed and a man wants to die, but after that, the judgment. So Christ also was once offered, one Calvary, one Pentecost, was once offered 
to bear the sins of many. And to those that look for him will he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Not coming to be the sacrifice for sin. Not the lamb slain, not the lamb slain, but the lion to rule. He's coming back. Now, Matthew 24, verse 3, the beginning of the Olivet Discourse. And as he, went upon, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately saying, Lord, tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end, eschatos, of the age? When does this thing come to an end? I'd love to just go on here and unpack some things, but it would strain me. I'll give you just a few. I'll give it to the, I won't look at this because the clock's in that one. I'll look at this group over here. He said, take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and deceive many. No, nope, I can't do it. <clears throat> the Christ that is preached here in this church, I know, I've been here long enough, no, we preach the Christ of the Bible. There is another, a bunch of other Christs. Even to yourself, you can be a Christ now. Number one selling Christian book is all about not the Jesus of the Bible, that there are many ways to heaven, and it is flying among disillusioned millennials today. All time. Matthew 24, verses 35 through 42. Let me give them to you quick. I, I appreciate you not having me have you turn to each one of these. There's too many, so you just let me quote them, write down the references, and check them out, okay? Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and of that hour knoweth no man, when heaven and earth is going to pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as in the days of Noah were, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark, and until the day that the flood came and took them all away. There shall be two in the field, one shall be taken, the other left. Two women grind at the meal, one taken, other left. Watch, therefore. Be ready, therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. That's the urgency left by Jesus to his disciples to pass on to the church. My struggle is, how do you maintain a proper eschatological urgency? Let me give you another one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. If you went to 4, how many of you know these are not, when the apostles wrote these letters, they didn't put them in chapters and verses? How many of you knew that? They're writing a letter. So in content, they'd have paragraph changes, you know, a little indentation as they're writing. But the verses just above that talk about the return of Christ. Then we who are alive remain should be caught up together in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Those kinds of truth. Wherefore, comfort one of these words. But of the times, I'll take off with 5.1. It says, but of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly the day of the Lord so cometh like a thief in the night. For when they shall say unto you, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in the darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. We should be looking for, watching for. There's something about watching I have learned that's absolutely essential. You see if you can figure it out. Some of you are getting it, I can tell. 
How many of you know with eyes closed, it's hard to see? Say amen. Just like, are we going through this? Or, what's going on over here, but I... Watch, he says. That day. Now, I'm going to leave out those illustrations. I'm going to give a caution to maintaining a proper eschatological urgency. This statement is worth knowing and writing down. Any truth taken to extreme soon becomes heresy. If you preach only the love of God to the ignoring of the truth of God, you've got a cream puff God that winks at every evil we come up with. And if you don't preach both the justice and mercy of God, you see the tension between the two? If it's just justice, you have a wrathful God. We also have a gracious God. Come on, help me with these. These truths about God, we need to know and keep those in back. He's coming, yes. How do I maintain a proper eschatological urgency? I know he's coming at an hour that I don't, I don't know of. I don't know. I'm supposed to be ready for any moment of this. Okay. Uh, last week, not last week, the week before, we went to the Barron County Youth Fair. Joyce and I did. We wanted to go in the morning, one on a Wednesday, I think it was. There wasn't very many people there. We like to go through the animal barns, look at the exhibits, blah, blah, blah. And, kind of and Joyce wants a corny dog. A corny dog. <sighs> Poor woman. Never mind. She, how many of you can make it through life without one? Okay, I, it's her big deal. Corny dog. So we went, no lines, went right up and got her corny dog. Got me one too, I had to suffer through it. Really, I don't mind them either, they're not bad. So, the corny dog. Well, and then we come home. And there weren't many people there in the morning time. And then uh, Gabe and Ellen asked us if we'd watch Evie while they were doing something, I don't know what it was. And we said, oh yeah, anytime we get to watch grandchildren, we can't, but we want to do it. So Evie, she's eight, we still had a wristband, we said we'll take her back in the evening. In the evening, the mobs were there. I mean, there must have been 25, I don't know how many people. There were just, where I sat, we waited and got the corny dog, didn't take him. Now, Joyce said, you wait, I'll get, she waited 30 minutes in a line to get a corny, because she had to have him from this particular place. I don't know. Corny dogs are corny, no, these are corny dogs. So anyways, so Evie and I said, and I went and got Evie. We went, I got her an elephant ear, and we sat down, we're going to wait for Grandma, while she slowly makes this line up to get her. And the people, I'm watching the people go by. And I've been studying this stuff I've been preaching to you. And I became so burdened. The lostness on their face, the, the way they seem to be trying to just stuff their lives with things to, to fill that void that only God can fill. At least I felt that way. I'm looking at people and I wanted to, my little granddaughter, our little granddaughter did not know what was going on in Grandpa. I wanted to stand up on that bench. I wish I had, had long hair and a beard and a camel hair suit like, repent! The, the kingdom of heaven is at hand! How many of you be willing to say that might be a little extreme? By the way, if you ever hear of that happening, I hope some of you will be kind enough to visit me in whatever institution they put me in. <laughs> Come on, somebody know what I'm talking about or not? I mean, that, that's kind of, we don't all want to. <laughs> By the way, there's a place for that. But it's, how many of you know if we all left here doing that, we would all not be here next Sunday. We'd be someplace else. I have that in me. And what I've been preaching about him coming and watching. 
so pushed back into my subconsciousness, it has no effect upon me. I've lived too much of me here. Can look at the loss without a, a twinge of pain. Anybody struggling with me? How do, I, how do you maintain a proper, the right tension, eschatological urgency, the end? Well, I'm going to ask the team to come. Um, by the way, how of you know when I ask the team to come, you know we're close to the end? <laughs> come on, help me. Is the, are those kinds of, are, is the team coming? Are there things going on that we should know? It's getting near. And that knowing the time that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. For now is your redemption nearer than when you first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. There are days I just soon eat coney dogs, curly fries, and elephant ears. And that's okay. But if that's all it is, we got a problem. Attention. Now, these two thoughts in 42 seconds. <laughs> yeah, right. Whew. I'm, trying to, I'm trying to trim the fat off of this. In Luke chapter 19, parable of the nobleman, Jesus speaking. He said there was a nobleman who went into a far country to inherit a kingdom. But before he left, he said to his servants, he said, he gave one ten, he gave another one five, and he gave another one one. And he said, occupy till I come. Do something with what I give you. Your forgiveness. Your place in my harvest field. Do something. And one of them did. Double it. Ten. Twenty. Five. Good. Ten. But one of them didn't do a thing with it. And he took away from the one who had one. And he gave it to the one who had the most. That's an, it, we, that deserves a whole lot more time than we're giving it. The picture is, occupy till I come. The Christian, listen, salvation is a flat out gift. I can't do anything to earn it. No work. It's a gift. But the Christian life is a full-time occupation. Full-time. I mean, how you know, never a day off. He's in there calling me, convicting me, inspiring me, leading me, guiding me, comforting me, afflicting me. Occupy till I come. I heard a preacher one time say, pray, give, or go, or be out of the will of God. That's a hard statement. Well-known preacher. Nationally known preacher. Good preacher. Pray. If you're not praying for the lost, you're not praying for the church, you're not praying. Give of your time, of your talents, your resources, or go yourself. All of them represent in this church. Every one of those issues. Pray, give, or go, or be out of the will of God. I need attention to a proper eschatological urgency. I need to be growing in grace, dealing with my sin, putting off the old man, putting on the new. There's plenty to do. Occupy till I come. Number two, also in the Gospel of Luke chapter 21, Olivet Discourse, here's what he says to his disciples. At the end of the Olivet Discourse, he says, in your patience possess ye your souls. Two scriptures. 
I need patience. I need some drawing to come to. In your patience, possess ye your soul. Your mind will emotion. That's what makes up the soul of man. Hebrews 10, 35 through 37. Cast not away therefore your confidence. Don't become a scoffer. Don't think he ain't coming. He's coming. And his coming is nearer today than it was yesterday. There's a day that he's going to do all this. There'll be a day. Acts 17, 31. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to do it. Be watching. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, that after you've done the will of God, you might inherit the promises. And yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. One more. James chapter 5, verse 7. Be ye patient unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and the latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have him come and find us occupy until he comes in our patience, possessing your soul, being about kingdom work and kingdom business. I pray so. I've been moved by this study. I pray God somehow use it in the lives of all of us that we might obtain and maintain a proper eschatological urgency. God help us with this. If you don't, we can't. We cannot manufacture who we are supposed to be apart from your grace and apart from you. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here this morning that has never personally invited Jesus, this Jesus of whom we've spoken this morning, the eschaton, the first and the last, to be their Savior into their life, they would do that this morning. And Father, for so many who come to church to be edified, strengthened, and encouraged, I pray that that would occur. I pray, dear God, you'd give us all grace for our living, our day-to-day living. Make us mindful of the time in which we live. And we'll be careful to thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have any questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world 